This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. I always felt more like the cloth in a sail being filled and carried forth by a wind that provided the real power. True, the sail is important, but the wind much more so. That's a quote from Bob Buford in his book, Game Plan. And Game Plan is really the step-by-step instructions of how to live out a life of significance from his best-selling book, Halftime. And as I read this quote today, I want you to picture that. Being a ship, a sailboat, and the sail is set. However, the power of the sail is really the wind, not the sail itself. And as I think about our lives as marketplace ministry leaders and the whole subject of whose priorities are we following anyway, there's this sense of the realization and how important the realization is that we are not our own. We have been bought with a price. And as such, we are here to do the will of the one who has purposed us here. So we are those sail ships. We are those sails set in the direction and purpose that God has planned for his glory. And he is the one that is the wind that puts the power in the sails that enables us to go to the places that he has designated for us. That's an important concept because it's so easy to get off track and to forget that we really do belong to God. I remember some years ago when I was traveling in the country of Ghana in West Africa, I was on a study tour. And one of the things that amazed me in Ghana when I was looking around and engaging with people is how many businesses actually were named with biblical names and Christian-based names, although some of those names were in Hebrew from the first covenant and so on and so forth. The business might be called Shalom something or whatever, because the people were acknowledging that everything that they had came from God. They were giving God honor and glory, even in how they named and called their businesses, which is an important aspect. So what we have to remember as people is that we have actually been redeemed, if you will, from slavery. And you might wonder, well, what kind of slavery? Not everyone has slavery in their history from a physical point of view. What I'm talking about is being redeemed from the slavery to sin. Because apart from God and before God came to redeem his people, we were all sold under sin. After Adam and Eve committed their violation in the Garden of Eden, eating from the forbidden fruit, we have not been able to live righteously or perfectly at all since that time. 
So when God redeemed us, he freed us to follow his agenda. That's what the freedom is for. A lot of times we really think about being free to do whatever I want to do and even being free to do things that are the wrong thing. However, before we weren't free to do the right thing, we automatically did the wrong thing until God purchased us from slavery, from that chopping block. And it was a price that we could not pay. And as we've said before in previous episodes about freedom, freedom is not free. There's a huge cost. And in this case, with our spiritual freedom, we didn't pay it ourselves. We couldn't afford it. We didn't have the ability to pay it ourselves. However, God in sending Jesus Christ as the Messiah, he paid the price for us in dying on the cross. And that's what has purchased our freedom. And because of that, he, God then, has the right to direct our actions and what we do. So again, we sometimes are plagued by mistaken thoughts, those mistaken thoughts about freedom to do the wrong thing. However, God's plan is our freedom to do the right thing. So our first and foremost job is really spelled out in Matthew 6.33, which is to seek God first and his kingdom and his righteousness. Everything else that we need, food, shelter, clothing, God knows we need these things. And he's the one who will provide them. He provides our food, shelter, clothing, anything else that we need when we prioritize his priorities. And the whole point is that in everything we do, it's God's desire and plan that God be the one who's glorified among the nations. It's God's plan and desire that he has the place of preeminence in our lives and in all that we do. There's an illustration in the Bible that talks about, you know, if a man is enslaved and he's serving his master, he's a servant and he's serving his master, is it normal for that servant to eat first and then serve the master? He says, no, the master eats first, then the servant will be able to eat afterwards. And so it's the same kind of a principle. When we even think about Jesus, when he was here walking on the earth amongst us, he came, he said, to do the will of the Father, not his own will. And one of the things we have to recognize is in answer to the question, can you succeed apart from God's blessings and provision? And we know that the answer is no, we really cannot succeed apart from God's blessings, apart from God's provisions at all. And in the book of Haggai, we see God talking to his people because God had instructed them to build his house, the temple. And the temple had been stopped from being built for a number of different reasons. They had all kinds of interference. You remember that after the Israelites came out of uh, Babylonian captivity, when Cyrus the king was in place, he issued a decree that they could go back and that they could build the temple. And as they started on their building project, all the local people around them, the people who were not Jews in, in and around Jerusalem, they thwarted all the efforts. And they finally, under the next king, got permission to stop 
the work. And this went on for a long time, probably a good 16 years or so. And then finally, Darius, the king, came into power. They asked Darius for help. Darius went back and he looked into the annals of the kings and discovered the decree by Cyrus and realized that this temple was supposed to be built. So he ordered again new supplies, new provisions to have the temple built. And he told people to leave them alone so they could build this temple. And he even said, if you thwart this and if you stand in the way, then the whole force of the government will be against you. So there was all of this ability then to build the temple. And yet in Haggai, the people had built beautiful paneled homes for themselves. They were living in luxury. They were not in an enslaved state at this point. They were building up their wealth and doing fine. And God says, look, you're living in these great homes and my house is lying in ruins. In other words, whose priorities are you following? And it was clear that the people were following their own priorities and doing what they wanted to do and not following God's clear direction. Now, sometimes we don't have God's priorities because we're not sure what they are. In this case, God had been very clear. They knew that God's priority was for them to build his temple. So now God said, all right, since you're not listening, I'm going to speak in some louder ways that hopefully will get your attention because you are not doing my priorities. And in fact, the people were saying, oh, it's not time to build God's house. It's not time to build God's temple. So they weren't officially saying, we don't think it should be done. They were just saying, not now. We don't think it should be done now. This is not the priority. So God said, look, I'm going to send drought. I'm going to send flood on the land. You're going to have failed crops. The same as you could have hurricanes, volcanoes, hail, fire. And you might even have illness and be on a bed of affliction because you're not in alignment with what God is asking you to do. And I'll remind you that the whole flood in Noah's day that prompted the need to build Noah's ark, it was because the people were disobedient and they weren't following God's priorities. So at that time, God flooded and destroyed the entire earth because people were not following his priorities. If we look at Sodom and Gomorrah, we know that he sent down fire and brimstone. He sent down destruction on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah because of the sexual perversion and sin in that region, and the people were not following God's priorities. And we also know that Miriam, who was the sister of Moses, and she was the worship leader in Israel at the time, her hands became leprous because she was rebelling temporarily against Moses until she was pardoned and then healed. So it's really not a good idea to go against God's priorities because there are consequences when we do so. And if I think about living out here in Colorado, we have some hailstorms that are unbelievable. When God sends hail, hail can be a killer. I know when I live back east, I've never seen hail like you see here. We routinely in the summer will have golf ball-sized hail. Sometimes we have baseball-sized hail, and it comes down hard and furious, destroying cars, breaking out windows, destroying houses, breaking out windows, destroying roofs. We've had to have our roof replaced a number of times because of hail. 
And one of our recent and devastating hailstorms killed a lot of animals in our local zoo here in Colorado Springs. So when God even uses the forces of nature to get our attention, this is not light action is what I'm saying. So there are all kinds of lights that can come that are in a more natural realm that God may send. I also want to mention that when we're not aligned with God's priorities and when we're not following those, it would seem, and this is what happened to the people in the time of Haggai, they were putting money in the purse and it would go out the back end through holes in the bottom. So you're working hard, you're tending the crops, you're doing all the things that seem like the right things. And God says, I'm not going to bless that. I'm not going to bless these efforts because you're not prioritizing what I've asked you to prioritize. So when we're off track and we're not aligned with God's priorities, we also fall into traps that the enemy sets. There are traps in our lives that the enemy sets. And I'm going to name a few of these traps that can happen, particularly when we're being very prosperous at any given time. Oh, just when you have a lot of money and you're being prosperous, things are going well. This is when drug addiction may come into your life. Many of the entertainers, the music stars and so on have to deal with this. And now the drug addiction acts as that hole in the bottom of the bag. So as the money comes in from all of the success that you have and the good work, it goes right out the bottom to feed the drug addiction. So that's one of the things that occurs. We have other habits and vices that also get in the way. It could be alcoholism, smoking cigarettes, and leading to various cancers, gambling. A lot of people are caught up in gambling. So all of this money, hard-earned money down the drain because of gambling. So you don't get to retain the increase of what you brought in. Other people where the enemy attacks is in the home front and their marriage. And so the enemy gets in the middle and all of a sudden the wife of your youth doesn't look so good anymore to you. Although there's nothing wrong with her and there's really not a problem, people will sometimes trade in their spouse, go get somebody else. And as you have these multiple marriages and divorces, that's more money, more money, extra children, more money, more money that's expended there. And also some, even if they stay with the wife, engage in extramarital affairs. And again, money is pouring out from the family through that aspect. So all of these things occur. You might end up getting to job loss, early death, or perhaps your investments and other financial decisions without the blessing of God, they fail. And so things just aren't working out so well. So this whole concept of God first is a biblical concept. God has the concept of the first fruits. We give him the first of our increase. The first, the tithe is the first. Off the top goes to God. The firstborn belongs to God. So this whole notion, God isn't last, but God expects to be first in our life and his priorities to be first as well. And sometimes we get sidetracked and we're rich towards men and poor towards God. 
And yet God instructs us and says, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse and see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that's so great you don't even have room enough to receive it. This is in Malachi. So again, by putting God first, that's our best chance for the greatest increase we could possibly ever have. And we sometimes forget this. So since we know this, and this is what God has said for many, many years, and it's nothing new, what gets in the way? What are the reasons that sometimes we disregard God's priorities in our life? For one thing, there can be a lack of trust that God really is going to meet our needs. Sometimes we doubt God's goodness. Is he really going to do what is best for me? And so we think we have to take the reins into our own hands so that we can meet our own needs. And that's always a mistake when we do that because God meets our needs better than we can. And when we get in there and mix it up and get the cart before the horse, that vehicle doesn't work well anymore. Sometimes we're also impatient because God's timetable is not the same as ours. And we think God is taking too long to meet the needs that we think we have, when in fact, he hasn't forgotten. He is on the job and he will meet those needs if we wait. And again, I think about King Saul when he was waiting for the prophet to come and the prophet was to offer up the sacrifice and it looked like it was getting down to zero hour and the people were complaining and Saul took it into his own hands to offer the sacrifice, which was not the role of the king. It was something that was forbidden for him to do. And of course, as soon as he did that, Samuel comes. So God's timing is perfect. And even if it seems late to us, he hasn't forgotten. He is coming just in time, even if it looks late. So sometimes we're impatient. We don't want to wait. Sometimes we also fear that what God has in store for us is something we don't want to do. Maybe you don't want to go to the remote corner of the world as a missionary or whatever. You say, well, I've got to make sure that I'm doing the things that I really want to do, because if God gets in the mix, I'll probably be sent somewhere I really don't want to go. And this is a fallacious way to think, because the desires that God puts on our hearts are consistent with the gifts that he gives us, and he is sending us to places that we would love to be, and they're better than the places that we are even thinking about. And when the scripture says that, delight ourselves in him, and he will give us the desires of our hearts. We've got to really understand that because God knows what's best for us. He knows the true desires of our heart. And when we line up with him, he lines our desires up with him as well. So we don't even have to worry about that. The people who are supposed to go to the farthest corners of the globe as missionaries, they want to go and they know that they're going there. And it's not going to be a conflict at the time that God sends them there. These are some of the reasons why we disregard God's priorities, that lack of trust, the impatience, wondering if God is really good. Is God really going to come up with something that I really want to do? And then another big reason is what I'll call a self-focus. Believing when we are successful 
that we are the ones who have created our success. So it makes us think when we're successful that, oh, I must be the one who's got to be in the driver's seat. And we forget that Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. So as we remember that without God, without Jesus, we can do nothing. We have to remember as we're building anything, think about building a house, whose lumber did you use? Whose resources did you use? Because we understand from the scriptures that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So anything that we're creating, we're using the materials that God has already created, that he's already left here on the earth for our use and for our enjoyment. So we really must remember to give glory to God. Remember to give glory to God. And a lot of times the great falls that we see in the world of corporate leaders, ministry leaders, these great falls occur because they leave their first love. We got to where we are in success through prayer, through obedience, through depending on God. Then do we become so foolish, as Paul would say, or as the scriptures would say, that we think now we're going to succeed because of our own works? No, of course not. God intends that we continue to be those sails that are filled with the wind of his power, with the wind of his supply. That's what God intends for us. Sometimes we get so busy, too busy, enjoying God's blessings that then all of a sudden we have no time left for God. God has opened so many doors for us. So many doors to walk through that we then close the door on him while we are walking through the doors that he has opened on our behalf. And again, we have to ask the question, who opened those doors? Who enables us to walk through those doors? Who is giving us grace and favor? Whose air are you breathing? You don't even have to be here today. We have to remember that it all comes from God. We are God's hands and feet on the earth here to carry out his will and to bring him glory. That's why we are here. So as ministry marketplace leaders, you also want to remember that you are in your workplace for the glory of God. You are there to make a difference in that workplace, to make a difference in the lives of people that God cares about, people that God wants to see and know who he is. You're not just there for your own use, for your own benefit. Yes, you will benefit. Yes, you are there and will be blessed, but you're there. You are blessed to also be a blessing in the workplace. That's really what this is all about. As we are closing today's episode, there are some questions that I want to leave you with, some questions of self-examination for you to think about as a ministry marketplace leader. Number one, what is the house that you are building for God in the workplace? 
What is the house that you are building for God in the workplace? And has God directed that house? Or is this something that you decided apart from God? Number two, what are the God-directed priorities that you and your team are building? What are the God-directed priorities that you and your team are building? And as you examine yourself, how do you know that those are God-directed priorities? To what extent have you spent time in prayer before the throne of God to get the directions that he has for you? Because God cares about everything we do, even what we do at work. He cares about that. And then number three, where might you have gotten off track and perhaps put yourself into the driver's seat? If you find that you're in the driver's seat and God is not in the driver's seat, what will it require for you to unseat yourself from the prominent place that is reserved only for God? He's the one that's in the driver's seat of our lives. And as we're thinking about that, I really want us to remember something in the history of God's people from the book of Deuteronomy, the eighth chapter, starting with verse 10, because God was warning his people. God knew that he was going to bless them. He was bringing them to a land filled with milk and honey. They were going to have wonderful houses. They were going to have prosperity. And he did not want them to get the big head <laughs> as they had that prosperity. And so he was warning them of what could possibly happen after they were in this place where they weren't going to lack anything and where everything was going to be beautiful. So in Deuteronomy, the eighth chapter, starting with verse 10, he says, when you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end. Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. Well, that was God's warning to his people back then as he was bringing them into the place of promise. So as God brings you into a place of promise today in your workplace as a marketplace ministry leader, remember 
It's not your power. It's not your might or your hand that has given you wealth, but it's God's power that gives us the ability to obtain wealth and to make a difference in our workplace. So use your freedom for the glory of God. Give him praise and his due for resourcing you, resourcing your sales with his power and his grace and favor. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.